You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's great to have you here today, especially for anyone who's here for the first time. We're thrilled to have you with us. We started this year not trying to create a to-do list. (laughs) You've got enough of those. But more of a to-be list. Because actually, from the scriptures we know, this is the case. From the Bible we know that out of our being comes our doing. And God cares more about your character than he does anything else. And he cares about his relationship with you. And so that's what we are looking at in this series. And today we're going to be focusing on what I believe is going to be great news and a great invitation for us all. And that is to be at rest. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. Um, So you can follow along, by the way, in the um, Bible app called the version of the Bible and check out... uh, tap on more and then to events, and you can get the notes of this. We're going to be starting by going to Matthew chapter 11, if you have your Bibles or that app, and we're going to be reading verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So one of the questions I think in this passage is, who's this for? Who are the heavy laden? Who are those who are burdened? Do you know? Is it just a select few that kind of fit into that category? Or does it really represent all of us? Now, we're not talking about that he will give us rest as in just physical rest, a cat nap, or you know, um, a little break here or there. But Jesus' invitation today is that you can have deep, soul, full rest. You can lay all your burdens down. Doesn't that sound good? So today we're going to be looking at these three points, why we need it, why we need that rest, how Jesus describes it, and how you can receive it. But first, why we need it. Um, Now, I remember way back, I think all the way back when I was in seminary. (laughs) It was kind of that, wasn't it, Carl? Carl went to the same uh, seminary that I did. And it did feel a little dead at times. But um, when I was back there, I think someone told me that the object of preaching is this, to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And I kind of said, oh, yeah, that's what I'm here for, right? To afflict the comfortable. But you know what? I don't know if that's needed. 
You know, um, that wasn't said by a preacher. That wasn't said by a theologian. Do you know that phrase, to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted, was said to be the purpose of newspapers in American culture. It was about the news. Yeah, no kidding. And it's like, whoa. Um, and I wonder sometimes if um, we really need to afflict the comfortable. Because who really is comfortable? Who's comfortable? Now, I'm not going to try to relativize or rationalize that my life is difficult because it has not been. But that's not the issue. It's not the fact that I, I'm not trying to compare myself to the billions of people who are living on $2 a day in this world, or those who are facing persecution for their faith wherever they happen to be, or under a government that is totalitarian, or any of those things. I'm not trying to compare myself to those who are suffering from all sorts of things. But I also know the fact that I'm really not that comfortable in my own life either. Not like, I just am restless. Restless. And I think that's the case for all human nature. We're just never quite satisfied. You know, there was a man named Quintus Horatius Flaccus, or better known as the Roman poet Horace. That's how we know him. And he was the best Roman poet, the lyric poet during the time of Caesar Augustus. So 2,000 years ago, he basically says, no one lives content. We're all restless. <clears throat> Everyone is. We, we, we struggle with the fact that we're just never settled down on anything. We're not happy for long. And in addition to that, I think it was Bono who said it in one of the U2 songs that say, I'm, but I I'm still haven't found what I'm looking for. We're continually searching. So over the 2,000 years, you could find hundreds of quotes from different people that say basically the same thing. And sure, I think the issue is the fact that some of us might feel content because we've numbed ourselves to our restlessness. Many ways to do that. You can distract yourself through shopping or vacationing or going out to eat or scrolling again and again and again. But all those things, by the way, what I see both myself and my neighbors doing are all different symptoms of our restlessness and our dissatisfaction and the fact that we are kind of heavy laden and burdened. Um, Henrik Ibsen. The Finnish um, playwright in his poem, The Wild Duck, said, if you take the life lie from an average man, you take away his happiness as well. I think that's what we're after a little more. I don't need to afflict the comfortable. All I have to do is expose the reality of our lives. Just describe what's going on. He's basically saying that, you know, you take away the daydream, the false hope that people say, you know, you've heard it, if I only win the Mega Millions jackpot. That's a life lie, right? Or if I'm going to get that promotion at work, then I'll finally be satisfied with my job. Okay. Right? Or if I just find the, the romantic partner, then all my loneliness and emptiness will fade away. 
if I gain the recognition, if I get a huge TikTok following, if I become famous or respected scholar or a goat in sports, then I will have happiness. Those are life lies. I'm still not sure about that. Yeah, well. <laughs> sorry, Siri. I don't know how. How does. Did I say Siri? No. If I just get the latest technology, right? Oh, my goodness. In Jesus' day, it was the burden of the law that was placed on people. And he was speaking a bit to that in this text. In fact, um, the word that's used for heavy laden in this text is fortidzo in the Greek. And that word means load or heavy burden. And it's only used two times in the New Testament. In the second case, Jesus is pronouncing a, <laughs> a woe against the teachers of the law. He says, Woe to the lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And I don't think it's just about the fact that um, there were 613 commands in the Torah, and people were trying to follow them all, and they weren't making it. It's the fact that the law, in any form, is a burden on our lives. And it's not just the law of the moral law of God or God's law that has to be that burden. It can be the law of expectations around you. It can be the law of making the great. It can be the standards of society. And sadly, it can be your own standards that you set for yourself. In fact, <clears throat> that's the biggest problem often. Do you realize nobody keeps their own standards? Sorry, you don't. I don't. I don't keep my own standards. Uh, Judith Shulevitz, in an op-ed in the New York Times a while back, she talked about um, what she called, um, she said, bring back the Sabbath. And she was talking about the need for rest in our society and how we're working all the time, 24-7, 365. But then she said, Sabbath is not just stopping from activities. Sabbath needs to be where we cease that, as she called, the inner murmur of self-reproach. It's that wonderful little accusing voice inside of you. You're not enough. You haven't done. You know there's more to do. That's not perfect enough. That's not good enough. Who do you think you are? Have you heard that voice? It might come from all sorts of different places. I hear that voice at times just from childhood still coming back around. Or I have this wonderful dream. Do you have anxiety dreams? It's kind of the murmur of self-reproach. My dream is either one of two things. I didn't, I, I missed a class in high school, and now at my age I have to go back to high school <laughs> and finish that class to get a legitimate degree, right? Or the other one is I am supposed to get up and preach at a church, especially my home church, which is like a cathedral, and I'm stuck in the basement of the church, and I can't find the microphone. And I know the service has already started. And I'm freaking out about all of this stuff. That is self-reproach. It just keeps playing with you and pushing you and telling you 
You haven't made it. You're not enough. God never intended that. God never intended that to be the way of life for us. In fact, do you realize in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then he talks about creation over six days, and it's on the evening of the sixth day. Right at the last moment, God creates humanity, man and woman, in his image. And what's the first thing they experience? The seventh day, which is rest, Sabbath a time to rejoice. They were not made to do work. They were not made to perform. They were not made. We were not made to set up to certain. We were made to enjoy God forever and to have beautiful fellowship, intimate fellowship. From the beginning, we are to rest first. And then from who we are in our relationship with God, we then live out our work. So I don't think I need to afflict the comfortable because I don't know anybody who is. <laughs> Not really. Maybe I just need to expose our life lies. Oh, if I only, then I will. And how foolish they are. But I guess that really is going to push the idea then of what is, what is going to be enough what is going to be enough so that I can rest? What can I build my life upon if it's not how hard I work or the standards other people have or my own standards or even God's law? What is it going to be? And the Apostle Paul, I think, answers that. In one of the oddest places that you will see, he says the only thing that will cause you not to lose heart, he says, so we do not lose heart. Even though our outer self, <laughs> This is wasting away. Isn't that a, yeah, you know, I'm getting older. It's falling out. Our inner self is being renewed day by day because we know in whom we rest, Jesus Christ. Christ is the one in this passage who says, I'm humble of heart. I'm gentle. I'm not here to give you demands that you cannot keep. You take breaks. You try to take time off. You've avoided. You've run away. You've escaped this and that. You take this class and that class to try to find that inner peace, to calm, to silence the murmur of self-reproach. But I can give you that. Only I can. I can give you a deep, abiding, Rest for your whole life. So, how does Jesus describe that? I think this is what's interesting. In uh, this passage in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound like another burden, a yoke? Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Because that is the language he's using. Um, but it's a metaphor that was used, especially in that first century in Israel, for anyone who wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi. That was the language used. You yoked yourself to that person. So it wasn't just for an hour or two a week that you sat and took notes in a classroom. 
It wasn't the fact that you just observed from a distance. It's that you lived with this person. And you walked with it. You saw what Jesus is offering to his disciples, to anyone is, I want to be with you 24-7, 365. And that you will learn from me and the way that I'm living. And you will then understand who I am, not by the things I just say, but just how I, who I am. And you will be with me, and I will be with you. I will have complete mastery over your whole life, not just a little segment of it. Come to me. I will give you rest. So often, I think we just want this like little spiritual booster shot, you know? Just a little pop in the arm, boom. Oh, I'm good for the week. It's not what church is, okay? It's not what it's going to work. Now, some churches might do that. You know, that was exciting. That was fun. But that's not what Jesus wants for you or for me. And our culture is the one who will also tell you, don't let anybody tell you what to do. Don't have somebody master your life. Don't have somebody um, direct your life. You need to direct your own life and then just have them meet your needs. But Jesus is saying you'll never get freedom that way. You will not have rest that way. And Jesus is not saying take your yoke or take the yoke of the law. He's saying take my yoke upon you. It's a bit different. But it also assumes that you're already burdened. You already have a yoke. Every one of us does. Whatever you're living for, whatever happens to be uh, the thing that you are looking to, to give you worth or significance, whatever it is, if it's romance, that is your yoke. You have said, you know, I'm going to live for the relationship I have with this person. Well, when that person disappoints you or walks away from you or uh, gets angry with you over something, man, that's everything falls apart. And you say, well, I'm not going to live for somebody else. I'm going to be independent. I'm not going to be dependent on anyone. I won't become codependent. I'm just going to be independent myself. I'm going to make my own life my way, and I'm going to be self-sufficient. Well, then guess what? When you aren't. Because none of us are. That's a life lie. All of a sudden, your world falls apart and your whole self-worth because you, had, you needed something from someone. That's a heavy burden. And you might say, well, I'm not going to live for my job. I'm not going to live for, um, <clears throat> for another person. I'm just going to live for doing good things in this world. And your morality and your sense of duty, whether it's a liberal or conservative version of that, will become the tyrant in your life. And you're either going to become a self-righteous bigot, and people are going to hate you, or you're going to continue to beat yourself up because you don't meet the standards that you've set for yourself. Isn't it amazing? We all have a yoke. It's not like, well, Jesus, you're going to give us. No, he's saying. You either have mine, or you're going to be so heavy laden and burdened, it's never going to work for you. Take my yoke. I'm the only master who's gentle and humble. I will forgive you when you fail and satisfy when you uh, lack. I embrace you when you hurt and comfort you when you feel empty. 
You know, the words to a song um, that was popular a couple years ago, still on the radio some, from Lauren Daigle, I think says it quite a bit. It's the song you say. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say, Jesus, I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I'm falling short. When I don't belong, you say I am yours and I believe what you say of me. That's what Jesus is saying in this text quite a bit. So how do you get this rest? Okay? How do you get this rest? How do you take this yoke on you? The beginning of our text today kind of sums it up. Jesus says, at the time, he declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. When you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus using this metaphor of becoming like a child time and again for what it means to trust him, to follow him, to become a Christian. And Jesus is basically saying, children don't need to become adults. Adults need to become children. Is that great? Adults need to become children. You know, kids know that they are not in, you know, that they can't be on their own. They know they are needy. They love being carried by an adult time and again. They love to help, you know, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up all the time. Parents, you, you know how tired you can get of all of that. There comes a time, John, when it won't be long before they don't want to ever be picked up again. I know. You got a few years with the... Uh, Right? With Glenna. But that's the case. And Christianity is saying, a Christian will say, you know, God, I've done bad things in my life, but even the good things I've done, I've done for bad reasons. I've done, you know, to look good, not just because. I can't earn my salvation no matter what way. I need grace from the beginning of my life to the end of my life through everything because I'm like a child spiritually helpless. And children also know this, that you're going to love them anyways. You know, we, uh, there are times parents will just be almost exasperated to the point and to where it's like, oh my goodness, how can I take this anymore? And the kid's just acting up and they're crying and they're fussing and they're defiant and all that stuff. But somehow they know you're going to love them anyways. We called it when they were a PETA, that is pain in the, <laughs> and you still love them, even if they're a PETA. And if we can do that for fallen children, just think of what Jesus does for us, what our Father does for us. He loves us no matter what. Jesus says, I am humble and gentle of heart. I'll give you rest for your souls. Jesus' humility led him to do the unthinkable thing. He exposed himself to the fury of this world, 
the self-righteous judgment of the religious elite, the cruelty of imperial power, the demonic forces that were at work in this world, all the hate and all the rage and all the defiance and arrogance, and it nailed him to the cross so that he could give you rest. Isn't it disarming to just think of what Jesus did for you? It's a lot easier to become a little kid at the wonder of seeing that sacrifice. So the burden of the law, in whatever form it comes, the burden of guilt, the burden of not being enough, the burden of your murmur of self-reproach inside of yourself, the burden of trying to justify yourself, to prove yourself, to perform enough, all of that, you can just lay that, all that deadly doing down and be at rest. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you this day. Um, you comfort those who are uncomfortable. You comfort us even when we try to comfort ourselves. Lord, you know our burdens. You know what we're going through. Lord, the last few years in Southwest Florida has been tough for so many. Just Ian, only a couple months ago, and yet the burden is still there, Lord. The burden of rebuilding, the burden of not enough, the burden of wondering, the trying to get through all the red tape, everything, Lord. Thank you for giving us rest. Thank you for being with us through it all. Thank you, Lord, for providing day after day. We pray for those who are facing those issues right now. We lift up to you, O oh Lord, too, um, at Florida Gulf Coast, where we have our campus ministry and all. There are many students. I see them so often. We all have seen them who are filled with anxiety and struggles and burdens of feeling like they're not enough. Lord, help us in one form or another to share your good news. We don't need to afflict them, Lord. We need to show your comfort and your joy and your invitation. May they hear through our actions, through our deeds, through our own words, Lord, that invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Lord, we need that now. We pray your healing on all those who are facing um, illness. We know some in our hearts we lift up to you this morning, but we also lift ourselves, Lord. You know how restless, how anxious, how burdened we all are. Lord, as we prepare to receive the great gift of yourself, as we yoke ourselves to you, as we come to the Lord's Supper where you offer your very life to us, Lord Jesus, we ask that you help us to lay all those burdens down, to receive you as a little child in faith, to trust you, that you love us completely, that you can do miracles in our lives, Lord God. The miracle of forgiveness, Lord, is amazing. Lord, you know that, uh, <laughs> you know our life lies, and so often we want to say we haven't done anything that, you know, we, we want to say we have not sinned or fallen short, and yet, Lord, we're not deceiving you. We're only deceiving ourselves. Forgive us. Renew us and lead us, Lord, to delight in your will and your ways, to glory your holy name, 
to see the blessings that come from you, Lord Jesus, day after day. So prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper this day. Prepare our lives as we respond in giving of our tithes and offerings to you this day. We're not just offering a, that a token of money, but we're going to offer ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, that you would be our Master, our Lord, our Savior. All of these things, Lord, we pray in your precious name. Amen.